Hi, and welcome to the Bluff Church Podcast. Each week we bring you the Sunday message from the Bluff Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. If you like our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment and leave a review on your favorite listening platforms on iTunes or Google Play. Your review helps other listeners find our podcast. For more information about the Bluff, we invite you to visit our website at thebluff.church or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Bluff Church. If you live in the Poplar Bluff area, we invite you to come be a part of the Bluff on any Sunday at 1027 a.m. in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn. Now here's this week's message. Merry Christmas for the Christmas season and all. If you don't know who I am, my name is Mason Powell. I am the teaching co-pastor here. And if you are a guest this morning, we are honored and thrilled that you're here, especially today, because today we end our very long series through the Gospel of John. It has been a blessing for me uh, to go through this series, and I hope it has been for you guys as well. Um, Maybe it's a little bittersweet, hopefully. I don't know. I know it is for me to to end this of talking about Jesus in this way. But if you are a guest, we want you to know that we do this unique thing at the beginning of every message where we take a moment and we give a round of applause and appreciation to a particular area of service here in the church because everyone matters. And this morning, we want to give appreciation to all of our relentless leaders. And if you don't know what that is, that's all of our youth leaders and all. And I recognize that in the nine years that this church has existed, that the current leaders we have have not always been all of the leaders, that there are some in this room who have served as relentless and youth leaders in the past as well, and we are greatly appreciative of all you have done over the years to invest Jesus into the lives of students here at the Bluff. And so let's give a round of applause for all those who've ever been relentless leaders. We thank you for your service. Well, I have a number of best friends, and one of them is a guy named Alex, and Alex and I are, are very close. We went to college together. We were roommates for a time period. We've done ministry together. He was in my wedding, and I officiated his wedding, and now we're both pastors, and he's on the other side of the country as pastors, and so every now and then, we'll call each other up, and we'll chat for a few hours just to catch up on what life is uh, happening with us, and it's a tremendous blessing to have a friendship like that. But like all friendships, there are sometimes those moments that are really awkward and uncomfortable, kind of like an elephant that has entered the room. And Alex and I went through a period of that when we were seniors in college, and I'll be honest, I thought our friendship was not going to last because of it. I'm talking about those kinds of situations where something is said or done, and now it's not that you hate each other, you just don't know where the relationship is at. Like, it's awkward, there's this elephant in the room, and it's screaming and stomping, and you're doing that thing where you're trying to avoid them wherever you go. Maybe it's at school or at work or out at church or in the community, and so you see them and you kind of duck your head, because you, you're like, I don't know how to handle this situation. Like, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and you're kind of praying that it either fixes itself or that the relationship will just die. 
Like, this is the kind of situation that me and Alex found ourselves in, and I'm not going to go into any specifics because I want to protect the privacy of the individuals who are involved in the situation, especially since these messages are recorded and uploaded online. But I will say that Alex, when he got married, him and his wife made a decision that was best for their marriage. And it was. It was a right decision that they made. But at the time, I did not think it was. And so me as his best friend, I kind of jumped to some conclusions and I kind of cornered him and I started to tell him off about why what he did I thought was wrong. And I never took the time to actually stop and listen to why Alex made that decision. Now, looking back, I hate the fact that I did that. I was like, man, that was foolish. And looking back, at the, now I know the reasons why he made the decision. I fully agree they made the right decision in their marriage. But at the time, I couldn't see it. In the time, I was trying to figure out where our relationship was now that we were both had spouses that we were responsible for and how that changed our friendship. We didn't know where that, that left things. And so, and so I, I said some things that I regretted. And I argued like how most adults argue today where instead of actually discussing and, and hearing the other side's point of view, you kind of just like insult and rant and scream and post all over social media until you are offended and everyone else is offended because that's how we argue today, right? Like that's, that's what I did. And so it was kind of awkward, and we, we walked out and trying to wonder, is this friendship going to last now, like after what has just been said? And so we, we spent the next several weeks trying to avoid each other, which was really hard because we were next-door neighbors, and, and we had most of our classes together, and we sat next to each other in those classes. So, like, you can't avoid each other. And so we even had the same group of friends, and so everyone's coming and trying to get us to, to mend what was broken. And it's not that we hate each other. Like I said, we just didn't know where things were now because of this elephant that had entered the room. Maybe you've experienced that in your own relationships, where something is said or done and now things are uncomfortable, now things are awkward, and people's feelings have been hurt, and you're like, I don't know where we go from here because this relationship that was valuable is now on the ropes, and you're wondering, is this going to last? Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it's the relationship you have with your, your parents or with your kids. And you're sitting here thinking, I... I need to know where to begin because you have a heart, and I hope this is true, especially if you're a Christian, that you have a heart that you long for things to be put back together, to be like the way they were before this elephant entered the room. But you have no idea what to say. And you have no idea where to begin. How do we get back to where we once were? Believe it or not, Jesus actually dealt with this same issue. Because in our final text in John, as we're looking at John chapter 21, Jesus has risen from the grave, and that is wonderful and glorious, but the fact that he's risen from the grave means he has to step back into a messy and broken relationship that he has with a guy named Peter. Now, let me introduce you to Peter, because we haven't really talked about him at all in the, the 21 weeks that we've gone through John and part of that's because we focus primarily on looking at Jesus, but Peter is a wonderful character in the story of Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus asked Peter to follow him because Peter was a goofball. Like this guy, every time he opened his mouth, it's always something bad. And you're just like, oh, Peter, why did you say that? Like this is who he is. And like he's impulsive. He's rude. He's got some anger issues. The kind where if you like say, hey, Peter, um, why did you do that? Like 
fists are going to start flying. Like, this is who this Peter guy is. He's a rough man. He's not a classy man. And I love the fact that Jesus looked at him and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to be the right-hand man to this big, world-changing thing I'm about to start. Because that makes it very comfortable for all of us. Because if Jesus can love Peter and have Peter follow him, like, there's a lot of hope for us. And Peter, when he's presented with this opportunity to follow Jesus, he, he gladly takes it because in all his life, he, he's kind of the guy that everyone looked down upon. And part of that's because he was a fisherman. Now, in that day in society, if you're a fisherman, you're kind of like the bottom of the totem pole. Like there's beggars, shepherds, and fishermen. They're all at the bottom of the social totem pole. And there's Peter. And he's, he's uneducated. In fact, in the book of Acts, they call him an idiot. Like this, this is a guy who everyone looks down upon. Except Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. And Peter gladly takes the opportunity to follow Jesus. To, to be part of something that has meaning in his life. And no one is more passionate about following Jesus than Peter. When Jesus starts to give very hard and difficult messages in life and everyone starts to leave him by the thousands, Peter remains. Peter was the first one to declare that he believed that Jesus was God and the Messiah. If Jesus ever had someone he needed to confide in, it was Peter. No one except maybe John had a closer relationship with Jesus than Peter. So imagine the, the tension then. When the night before Jesus is to be arrested and Jesus has a dinner with his closest disciples and it's kind of like him saying goodbye to them. Where he says, hey, I know you guys are about to abandon me. I know you guys are about to leave. And Peter stands up in the crowd and says, not me, Jesus. I will stick with you no matter what happens. I love you more than anyone else loves you. And in that moment, you can imagine, like, if that was any of us, if we were Jesus, you would feel like, yeah, here's this guy who's claiming undying loyalty to me. Like, that's an exciting thing to hear. Except Jesus doesn't reply like that. He kind of looks at him and says, oh, oh, Peter, in just a few hours, you're going to insult me and curse me and say you never even knew me in a crowd of people to protect your own life. And in one sense, that kind of hurts Peter. Because like I said, you just confess undying loyalty to a guy who then turned around and said he doesn't believe in you. But it hurt even more when it came true. Because when the mob came and they take Jesus and they drag him away in chains, Peter, while everyone else abandoned, Peter kind of follows in the crowd a little bit. And people start questioning. They're like, hey, it's dark outside, so we can't really identify you. But aren't you the guy who followed Jesus all those years? Aren't you his right-hand man? Aren't you the one who, who saw him do all these things? And, and you confess this undying loyalty to him? And, and Peter, in that moment, he starts to curse and spit and insult Jesus. He says, I don't want anything to do with this man. I never had anything to do with this man. I don't like this man. I hate him. And Jesus is standing right there in the crowd, and he does it not once, not twice, but three times to protect his own life, he spits in Jesus' face and curses him. And it's when that last curse leaves his mouth that he realizes what he's done. And he runs away weeping. He's not there to see the, the trial of Jesus. He's not there to hold the hand of Jesus when Jesus is on the cross, who might have needed a friend in that moment. He has abandoned his best friend after he's just said some awful things to him. And I imagine there were a couple of days where Peter's 
He's eating himself up like he, he's hating himself as he's thinking Jesus is dead and these are the last words I ever said to him. And then Christ rises again. And yes, in that moment, there would have been joy as Jesus suddenly appears before him. And it's like, hey, my best friend's back. But don't you think when, when the excitement started to die down, that there would be a tension in the room as all the other disciples are looking around? Like none of them were in good standing with Jesus because they all abandoned Jesus, but they know Peter did so much worse. Because they never denounced Jesus. They never insulted him. They just, they just kind of scattered. But Peter publicly cursed Jesus and spat in Jesus' face. And so I imagine they're all looking around the room wondering, what is Jesus going to do in this awkward tension, this awkward situation? Because there's this elephant in the room that is screaming. But in that moment, Jesus doesn't do anything. But the moment's coming. Because if God desires to restore and reconcile the world, this relationship with Peter has to be dealt with. This tension, this elephant in the room. And I'm promising you, the story that we're about to read now in John chapter 21, and how we think Jesus is going to reply now to to Peter, is not what we expect. Our story begins just a few days after Jesus has been risen from the grave, and And all the disciples, they've traveled back home to Galilee, to their hometowns. And they're trying to figure out where they go from here now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's kind of given them this big mission to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. And they're in this tension trying to figure out what they do next. And Peter gets together with all the other disciples. And we see that he says to them in verse 3 now, he says, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat and But that night they caught nothing. Now, there are some preachers out there who like to take this text and make it sound like the disciples are kind of giving up on the big mission that Jesus gave them that we talked about last week. I disagree. I think these are just some good old country boys who have had an incredibly stressful time. I mean, imagine you just watch your best friend get arrested and killed and he's innocent. And so there's a lot of stress. So I think they're just thinking, let's just go and Let's go relax. Let's go fish tonight. And they go out and they didn't catch anything. Maybe they lost their touch after years of following Jesus. I don't know. But they're heading back to shore as dawn is starting to come up. And and there's this man out on the shore who's Jesus, but they don't realize it's Jesus because it's it's cloudy. It's it's dark. And they just see this man come on the shore waiting for them. And he kind of shouts out, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side and try one more time? And these guys, these disciples, they they grumble, they complain, because they've been out all night trying to fish, and they haven't caught a single thing. But they're men, and so when men have egos and they get challenged to do something, they tend to do it, if not to prove someone else wrong. And so they're like, fine, fine, we'll, we'll throw the nets out one more time, and they do that. And then this time, when they pull it in, there's hundreds of pounds of fish that are there, And John freaks out in this moment. He's like, that is Jesus, because how Jesus first called the disciples was doing the exact same thing, of the same challenge when they were trying to fish and they couldn't catch anything. And he says, hey, try one more time. And they catch hundreds of pounds of fish. Like, this has happened before when Jesus first called his disciples, when he first called Peter. And it's it's pretty cool that he's doing it again. And so they, they freak out. John's like, that is, that's Jesus over there on the shore. And so Peter, he grabs his cloak and he dives into the water and he starts swimming to shore and he leaves the other guys to, to try to paddle to shore and pull in all the fish. And, and when they get there, when they got out on land in verse 9, 
They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So after a miserable night of sin there, of not catching anything, they enjoyed the morning sunrise with Jesus. Getting to laugh together like, like good friends, like guys tend to do around a bonfire. And it seems like, oh, this is all good, but, but Jesus has not come merely to hang out with the guys. Remember, there's this awkward tension, this elephant between him and Peter who's sitting next to him. And this is why Jesus has come, because he has come to deal with that situation. And so when all the joking is done, he, he kind of looks over at Peter. and he, he says, verse 5, he says, Simon, which is the name that Peter had before Jesus changed his name to the Simon, or just changed it to Peter, which is remarkable that after years of calling Peter, Peter, he kind of looks at him and says, now, Simon, going back to his birth name, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know what Jesus meant when he said, love me more than these. He might have meant the, the fish and the boats and the lifestyle, being a fisherman and all the glamour that comes with that. Or he might have meant, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these other men? Which is a, a pretty big statement because these other men we know are some of the family members of Peter. And when that's a big statement for just say, hey, do you love me more than your family members? But I think there's a deeper message here that Peter's saying, or not that Jesus is saying to Peter. Saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other men love me? And remember, this is a, a, that's how this whole situation started. Because Peter, the night before Jesus was to be killed, he stood up and said that he loved Jesus more than anyone else loved Jesus. And so Jesus is kind of bringing that back up. He's like, hey, let's resume this conversation. Let's continue where we left off. And let's talk about how you said that you love me more than anyone else. Is that still true? And so here's how Peter replies. He says, continuing where we left off, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter is still confident that in spite of everything, he still loves Jesus more than anyone else. And so when Jesus brings the situation back up, Peter responds, he says, yes, Lord. And so do you think that in that moment, Jesus called him a liar? Do you think he, he mocked him or embarrassed Peter or said, hey, you know what, since you said this, explain to me why you insulted me then. Because that's what any of us would do, Right? Like, this seems like the perfect trap. You get someone to say something, and then you jump in their face and say, ha, you're a liar, let me show you why you're wrong. Like, we do this all the time. We either do it or we're victims of it. And if you don't believe me, think back to when you were a little kid, and you had some chores, and you didn't do them. And so your mom comes in the room and says, hey, did you do your chores? And you know you didn't, but you try to get away with it. And you say, yeah, of course I did my chores. But your mom already knows you did not and she was presenting an opportunity for you to, like, confess or, or be trapped, okay? Like, some of you are mothers, and you've, you've done this, okay? Like, or you probably even did it this morning. I don't know, okay? I'm not judging you or criticizing you on that. I'm just saying this is human nature, and this is what it feels like right now, that Jesus is kind of presenting this case to Peter and says, hey, I'm waiting to see if Peter's going to answer. But notice how Jesus replies to him when Peter says he does believe that he loves him. Because Jesus doesn't do what we think he would do and trap Peter. You know, he says, he looks at me, he says, feed my lambs. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, because you claim to love me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love and lead my followers. 
This thing that I've started, I'm leaving it in your hands, Peter. And that seems strange. Like, surely Peter has lost his value to lead anything after what he has just done. Like, who is he to lead the followers of Christ when he insulted Christ? Like, he's a horrible follower, you think. Like, why is Jesus doing this? And before this can be questioned, or before Peter or any of the other disciples there can raise their hand and say, this doesn't seem right. Like, are you sure, Jesus? Jesus says again in verse 16, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Like that's the second time Jesus has asked the same question. He does it immediately. And before this can be answered, or like this is an odd statement, before anyone can say, well, Jesus, what are you saying? Like, what are you doing? It, Jesus immediately says it again. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So three times Jesus asked the same question of, hey, Peter, do you love me? And it is on the third one that it finally breaks Peter's heart because he realizes what Jesus has done. That for the, every time that Peter spat in his face, and said, I don't know you, Jesus. I don't love you, Jesus. I hate you, Jesus, just to protect his own life. Jesus, in the same moment, has, has responded by saying not hateful things in return. Not getting even with Peter, but asking, do you still love me? Like, I love that's the first response that Jesus does to those who hurt him, is to stop and say, hey, do you still love me before he goes any further? Now, for those of you who have grown up in church, you've heard this passage. And you probably think at this moment, I'm going to stop and talk about the unique word of love in this, this message, because that's what every preacher does. Well, I'm not. And the reason being is because I think when we get so focused on that individual word, we miss the grand scope of the really cool and awesome thing that Jesus is doing. And that there are many preachers out there who, if you want to know that, you can go and find that, okay, who, who want to talk about whether or not these words mean the same thing in the Greek language or, or whether or not they mean something different. And a lot of times when I hear these messages, the message becomes more about that as well as the fact that there are a lot of preachers out there who actually don't know Greek. It's <laughs> just saying. Now, I love the Greek language, and I love to nerd out over it just as much as I also hate the Greek language, okay? But I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Because I want you to see the really cool thing that Jesus is doing here. Because Jesus is talking to a guy who hurt him, who shamed him, who insulted him. And what Jesus does in response is not to, to get even with him, but to assure him, hey, Peter, you still have value. You still have purpose. You're still loved. You're still forgiven. Like you haven't outsinned what I have done. And it's remarkable because that's what Jesus is doing. And so oftentimes we, we miss that. But remember, this is a guy, Peter, who confessed undying loyalty to God. And yet he, he spat in the face of Jesus and Jesus responded not by spitting back, but to offer up his hand and says, will you still follow me? And he's not just restored to a tiny little purpose in God's big plan through Jesus. No, he becomes a crucial element because he even says, Jesus predicts his own 
death for Peter. Verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus not only forgives Peter, but he kind of like lifts Peter back up and gives Peter the unique role saying, hey, Peter, because you claim to love me and because out of that love you have value, here's what I want you to do. Because you say that you love me more than anyone else, I'm going to allow you to be crucified, just like I was crucified to glorify God. And with this hanging in the air between them, Jesus looks out and he says the same words which he said to Peter long ago that started this long journey together. He looks at Peter and he says, follow me. Does that not just amaze you? That that Jesus looks at Peter who burned so many bridges, who did so much hurt, and yet he still offers forgiveness purpose, and value. Like I imagine this scene kind of taking place up in the courts of heaven. And all the angels, they don't know what Jesus is about to do. And they're sitting there thinking, God, are you sure you still want to be around this Peter guy after what he said to you? Like you're a holy and righteous God and he spat in your face. Are you sure you still want him around? And I feel like God just sits there and smirks and says, oh yes, I still want Peter. I still want him. No matter what he's done. He's still mine. That's the same God who looks at us when when we feel so uncomfortable in all of our mistakes and shames, the things that we did last night. You know what I'm talking about, the things that you feel like make you feel uncomfortable around other Christians or in church and that sort of deal. Like that God sees all of that. He still offers up his hand and says, hey, I love you. I want to make this right in your life if you'll just follow me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Focus on me. Keep pursuing me. And I'll try to, I'll I'll make this right. Because that's what he said to Peter. That's the same Jesus who says it to us as well. Look, there's no doubt that Peter was passionate and loved Jesus. But he was still human, just like all of us. And he still had his flaws and he still made his mistakes. But Jesus was bigger than his mistakes. Jesus was stronger. His mistakes weren't big enough to stop Jesus. And if there's anything we can learn from this story, it's that your value in Christ is not loss because you made a mistake. Your value in Christ is not lost because you made a mistake. That can be hard to believe sometimes. And if we're all human, if we all confess to be human, which I hope is true, it means that we have to admit that we're going to make some mistakes. That we're going to say and do things that we regret. Things that we wish we could look back on and say, I wish this relationship was healed and restored and I hadn't said and did what I said and did. Maybe it comes from losing a job. Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's from the feeling of shame from having sex outside of marriage. Maybe it comes from failing a test 
from breaking a promise, from letting someone down. And you have these these buckets of mistakes in your life. And it's so easy to run back to them. It's so easy to live in them. I find that most people, especially Christians for some reason, would rather live in their past mistakes, always running to them, never running from them, never moving forward in life because they always go back to those past mistakes. It's almost like they like the way it makes them feel. And let me tell you, if that is you this morning, I want you to know your mistakes have not robbed you of the value that's in Christ. Because so oftentimes, our mistakes, we'll let them make us feel worthless. We'll let them make us feel valueless. We'll let them eat at us and destroy us and rob us of what Christ has done. But your value in Christ is bigger than that. It's bigger than all your mistakes. If he could look at Peter who spat in his face, I, I think Jesus can handle whatever mistake you have because surely you haven't physically beaten and cursed and insulted Jesus and yet Jesus was able to respond this way to Peter. I think he's able to handle your mistakes as well because your mistakes are small compared to the value you have in Christ. I believe this affects everything. I believe this affects our relationships. For when our marriages grow cold, for when we have those friendships and we long for them to be put back together, that it's wonderful to be reminded that the God of our victories is also the God of our defeats and he desires to put the pieces back together. And the first thing you have to understand is that your value in Christ, especially if you're a believer, and this is really only if you're a believer, your value in Christ is not lost because you had a mistake. And so this is where the foundation that you have to build upon in order to restore that relationship. And I've seen this work in friendships. I've seen this work in marriages. This has worked in my own marriage. And this worked between me and Alex. It had been a number of weeks of us awkwardly trying to avoid each other and not talk to each other. And and we were walking back from a class and, and lo and behold, that day's discussion in class was about the mercies of Jesus and how he was supreme and how our value rested in him. And we were walking back from class and I, and I knew that discussion had not only spoken to each of us, but it was clear it applied to our friendship going forward. Because if there was to be any healing from the pains and hurts, we had to remind ourselves that Jesus was bigger than those things, that those things that we run to, that oftentimes we use them to define our value, they were wrong because the real value in us came from Christ. And I knew one of us had to address the elephant in the room then because of that. And so we're walking back and we're getting to our houses and I stop and say, hey, Alex, I need to apologize. And that's about as far as I got because he spun around and then he hugged me and he assured me that, that everything was all right and he forgave me and it was wonderful, and I recognized not everyone's going to have that experience. Alex is a really good man. I'm grateful to be friends with him, but I recognize, though, not everyone is going to have that kind of experience. But I know if we're a Christian, responding to another Christian has hurt us, this is where we have to begin. I wish all relationships could be restored, and I know God does as well, and I know 
you have relationships in your life that you wish could be restored, and sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes there are relationships that maybe on this side of heaven won't be fully fixed because we're broken people who enjoy breaking things. But we are also reconciled people before God, and reconciled people seek to have things reconciled in their lives. And what I mean is if God is putting the pieces back together in our lives and in our souls, then it should be the natural inclination as followers of him to want to see that happen in our relationships and our lives. And here at the bluff, we want more of that. Yes, we've, we've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Dave has made mistakes. All of us here as part of the bluff have made mistakes. But our God is bigger than that. Our God laughs at the mistakes that we think will cripple us. They will only cripple us if we allow them to by not giving them to Jesus. When we, when we forget how Jesus is bigger, how Jesus wants to restore us, how Jesus wants to fix us. And so here at the bluff, that's what we believe and that's what we choose to proclaim, that God is, is mightier that God is the God of our victories as well as our defeats. That's why we don't have a sign outside that says, if you've made these mistakes in life, you're not welcome here, okay? Like I know there are some churches out there, they just have that kind of vibe. This is not that place. Because when we look around the room, we notice that all of us have flaws. We have strange quirks, if you haven't noticed that. We have things in our lives that we wish were not the way they were because of the mistakes we've made. But we still gather together as a family to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And that because we get to have a relationship with him purely on the basis that we recognize first and foremost that he is a holy and righteous God. Secondly, that, that we have all sinned against him. And third, that we recognize that how much we needed Jesus when Jesus came into the world to die for our sins. And when we have faith in who Jesus is, we get to be part of his family. We get to be part of the pieces that he's putting back together in this world. It starts with us, and I believe it also starts in those awkward, uncomfortable relationships that we have, the kind with the elephant in the room. And we go forward in how we interact with other Christians, remembering that, yes, they've made mistakes, but they have the same Jesus that we do, who's bigger than our mistakes and who has given us value. So here in a minute, the band's going to come up and the band's going to sing and lead us in worship of this wonderful Jesus. And as in during that time, if you've, you've been listening for the past several weeks of me talk about who this Jesus guy and how awesome he is, and you're like, hey, I, I want to talk more about this Jesus guy. I've got questions. I don't know if I really have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, please come talk to me or one of the elders in the back of the room. That's why we're here to encourage you guys, to love you guys, to see the, the broken pieces in your life be mended by Jesus when he becomes part of them. Because he's a good God like that, and we want to proclaim him as a church and to you. So if you need to talk to someone, please don't hesitate. So will you please, please pray with me?
Father, it has been wonderful to journey through the Gospel of John with you. To see the many things that you have shown us of how you are a light in the darkness, Father. How you overcome the many different things in this world that oftentimes beat us. Whether it be disease. Whether it be ourselves. Whether it be broken relationships. Whether it be sin, Father. You have overcome it all. It is a wonder and an amazement that you as Jesus love us in return. That you want to have a relationship with us and dwell in our lives. So Father, we cannot thank you enough. We cannot praise you enough because you give us value in life. It's not our jobs. It's not our families. It's not our friends that give us value. It is you and that is incorruptible. It cannot be lost when we have faith in you. We thank you for that, Father. It's in your name I pray.